I had a special note from somebody. Thank you, wherever that person is. I left that special note. I think, am I supposed to dismiss kids? Kids are dismissed age four to eight. Thank you. I didn't ask anybody about that. So yeah, if you're four to eight, you're dismissed. There'll be children's church today, wherever that normally takes place. Well, as I look around, I'm pretty sure I probably know at least 99% of the people here. If there's a few people that, that don't know me, my name is Lenny, and it's very important that you know that I'm not the pastor here. And if you would come back another week, you do not have to hear me. You'll actually get to hear Pastor Killerline, who is off with his family, um, celebrating Christmas and New Year's. I think they're on their way back either today or tomorrow. But uh, I'm one of the elders here, and as I was putting things together over the last few weeks, I started thinking through how many years I'd been here, and I thought, let's see. I came, and I was kind of, you'll hear kind of my story a little bit about how I got started at Calvary, and I thought, well, when was that? I thought, oh my goodness, 1977. 2017 is starting my 40th year. 40 years. It's amazing for only being like 42 years old that I've been here. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's been a long time at Calvary. I've been 40 years here. And that's significant, I think, because in those 40 years, I have grown to love the people of Calvary. So as I look out and I see all of you, and I mean literally hundreds of people in those 40 years have come and gone for whatever reasons in and out of town, uh, in and out of churches. But the people that are here at any given time, I really have, God's just given me a love for Calvary and for the people here. So I want you to know that this morning. Um, and it's always kind of hard to know how, how you get started. You know, you kind of know what you want to share, and I've been thinking about that. And, but I, I thought maybe I should tell you how I got into this, because there's a lot of you out here that have been on boards and things with me, and a lot of you have heard me tell Pastor Ben, and he's asked me to preach many times, and, and you've heard those conversations, and it's always been a very resounding, Ben, that is not my calling, no way, not going to happen. See Dan laughing back there, he's heard that. And, uh, and if you'd asked me six weeks ago, that still was pretty much, that was the way it was going to be, that Ben kept trying to convince me that it was biblical, that all elders are called to preach. And <laughs> I said, come on, Ben, he'd show me something, I said, that doesn't say that. So we've had this kind of ongoing thing. Well, Ben outsmarted me this time because I'd conceded to Ben that I said, you know, I, I'm not called to preach, but I said, I think every Christian is called to, to be able to share their faith, what God's been doing in their life, and what he's doing now. And, and let's see, anybody's going to jump in. I think I got it coming off my ear. I said, every Christian needs to, to be able to share their faith and, and tell people what God's doing in their life. That's what we're called to do. That's, that's what being Christian is. And that's, that's our... We'll talk more about that today, but uh, so he outsmarted me this time, about six weeks ago or so, five weeks ago. He said, Lenny, didn't ask me to preach. He said, how would you like to share with the people on New Year's Day what God's doing in your heart? <laughs> God, he knew I wouldn't say no to that. So he outsmarted me. I have to, have to confess that. And there's a second reason, too, that he doesn't know about either, but many of you know Kristen Howard. Probably a year or two after Kristen and, and Eric had moved here, they um, from Oregon, uh, we, we were visiting about something, and you know they're probably about 10 years behind us or so, or maybe 15 years behind us in raising a family. And so Kristen was asking me one day, she says, Lenny, 
I don't remember what it's specifically, but something about parenting and about kids raising kids. And my kids are all gone by now and all, you know, in college or through college. And so whatever she'd asked me, I said, you know, Kristen, I said, my kids are all gone. I don't really know if I have too much to, to share with you on whatever the topic was she was asking. And she didn't bat an eye and she didn't laugh about it. She looked me straight in the eye and she says, Lenny, she says, if God has taught you something and you don't share that with other people, that's just sin. And that has stuck in my mind. And so when Ben asked me that, it's amazing how that came right to the front of my mind. And so that's kind of what we're going to do today, just to give you an idea. I'm just going to share some things that God's taught me over the years. Um, I hope you get something out of it. I, I really want to make sure that you understand that this is not a sermon. I'm pretty sure that a sermon, at least in my mind, involves talking about Greek and Hebrew. It probably talks some seminary education. It probably talks about... You know, it probably insinuates spending a lot of time reading commentaries, of which I did none. So this is really not a sermon, so if you're one of those uh, sermon critics, um, you, know, you might as well put your pencil and paper away, because it's going to be a long day for you if you try to you know, make this a critical sermon. The other thing that makes me a little, I shouldn't say nervous, because I'm really not you know, nervous about speaking and sharing with you at all, but last night we had some good friends over, and uh, I was doing fine, and I told them I was going to be sharing this morning, and um, actually I invited them to hear. They're, they're, they're here, so you might want to say hi to them. But Marilyn asked me, she says, well, she says, yeah, maybe we'll come listen. She says, it's Lenny. She says, it'll be entertaining. And I locked up. I said, oh, my goodness. I said, I literally did not put one second of thought into making this entertaining. So I should give you a good, you know, something to yawn about right from the beginning here. Um, but it's, it's just sharing what God's done in my life and, and I really, when I started trying to say, what am I going to talk about? And I thought, okay, I've been going to Calvary for 40 years. This is the first time I've been before the church on Sunday morning. Not likely I'm going to be here in another 40 years. So if I get to do this once every 40 years, I better give you everything I got. And so I, thought, I did actually think of a title of the top 10 lessons that I've learned from God. I thought, well, then I could kind of go through and kind of think of some things that God's taught me and, and share those, and that, that might work out okay. So I sit down in my Bible one morning and I start reading through just some of my favorite, um, um, favorite books of the Bible. And I'm going through you know, Galatians and Ephesians and uh, the Timothys and the Thessalonians, all the Gospels. I'm just kind of picking through and if you look at my Bible, you'll notice that half of the things in there are underlined. I kind of say, if God teaches me that, so I try to underline it. And I'm going, yeah, this isn't going to work very well. Because <laughs> I was coming up with like 10 things that God taught me out of every chapter. And so I said, this is, I don't even know where to start. It reminded me of a conversation I had with Josh Eiler. Many of you know Josh on the sugar beet harvester one day, and we were talking about things, and we got to talking about our uh, ten, top ten movies. And uh, by the end of the day, and the end of our conversation, <laughs> Josh started laughing at me. He says, Lenny, you've got a hundred movies in your top ten. And so that's how I was thinking about God's lessons. If I come up with top ten, I'm going to have like a hundred lessons there. So... Um, so I think what I, what I decided on is that I was just going to tell you about what God's been teaching me throughout life. And um, I can't really tell you that without first kind of starting with, with where God kind of first encounter my first encounters with God. Uh, I grew up in, in South Dakota and around Pierre, and where we attended church and Sunday school. And when I think back to things I learned from my parents, I didn't really even think about this until preparing this sermon, which is kind of weird. But my parents were extremely committed to church. We lived 21 miles on gravel out in the middle of nowhere. 
north of Pierce, South Dakota. And uh, I do not honestly remember missing church ever. That's not true. I could, rem- I could think of one time when it was such a terrible blizzard that we actually left and headed into town, got just a two or three miles, and they turned around and came back. But that's the only time I can ever remember not going to church and Sunday school. And remember, I grew up on a farm, and so my dad would go out, and he had hundreds of cows and pigs, and he'd spend hours doing chores, come in and get us ready to go and with my mom, and, and we'd head into town for church, and we literally never missed. And for you that are much younger than I, um, you probably won't remember these, but anybody that's my age or grew up in an evangelical church, you remember what they called revival meetings? Maybe you see some revival meetings if you went to like a Baptist church. I don't, every year or two years or whatever, they'd have an evangelist come in, and at your church you'd have these revival meetings. At the revival meetings, uh, they, were, they were interesting as I look back at them, but there'd be three, four, five nights of the preacher, and the, the message was always pretty much the same as I remember it. It was generally a very fire and brimstone message that uh, they kind of laid it out there on the line in revival meetings. They just let you know, you got two choices. You can spend your eternity in heaven with God, or in hell with Satan. Your choice, make your decision. And that's kind of how they were. And it always kind of ended up with an altar call. And So at one of these um, meetings, even as an um, elementary student, I don't remember exactly what grade I was in, but that seemed like a pretty easy choice to me. Um, so they always, the evangelist always had the same lines too, where he said, okay, now with every eye closed and every head bowed, just slip your hand up right where you're at if you want to receive Jesus. Well, during one of those uh, meetings, uh, I did that. And then afterwards, they'd always ask those people that made that decision to come forward to public, publicly confess that they'd accepted Jesus as their Savior. Well, when he did that, I froze. I couldn't go. I was a young kid and didn't know exactly what was going on. I, I knew what decision I was making, but I didn't really want to go forward. Well, as I'm leaving the church, it's amazing. I can picture this perfectly. Where I was sitting and everything, I can't remember anything what they did last week. But this is so clear in my mind. That's one of the reasons I know it was really God teaching me something here. It was a really good encounter with God. As I'm on my way out, he says, hey, Lenny, he says, I know you raised your hand. You didn't come forward. He says, can I talk to you in my office? Uh, yeah, sure, sure. So this loving pastor, Pastor Truman Sproles, took me in his office, and he went through the whole gospel again just with me and, and explained it and asked if I you know, really wanted to give, give my heart to, to Jesus. And so I prayed with him there to do that. And it's just amazing how it is just like it, it, it happened yesterday. So that was really my first encounter with God. And, and I do remember it very vividly. But I'd say for the next eight years, all through my well, probably sixth, seventh grade, all through junior high, all through high school, we'd moved to another part of the state, so we'd kind of switched some churches. We went to a couple different churches. And um, during that time, I would say I basically didn't learn anything about following Jesus. Like I said, we went to church every week, but some of you remember how you were in junior high and high school. You just, you just don't focus in on things, and your, your mind's everywhere else. And, so I, and I don't know what was taught at some of those churches and uh, how evangelical uh, they were, but I don't remember really having anybody take me and mentor me and saying, this is how you follow Jesus. I learned a lot about church, about religion, you know, about m- moral living, uh, ethical living, those kind of but I just didn't really learn anything about following Jesus during that whole time. And that kind of brought me to my freshman year in college. And as I look back, and, and many of you will join me in this. If you're in this age group, you'll probably get mad at me. But um, when I look back now at my 18-year-old self, 
It was pretty sad. I mean, I thought I had it all figured out, and really the truth of the matter was I was, I was 18 years old and pretty stupid. And um, so I, I got to, to, to a college, looking for that college experience, and I didn't really get into anything bad, but I didn't really start going to church. But I am so thankful still today, and for this reason, I'm so thankful for people that work with college students. Most of you know my son Danny's a, a minister to, to college students with crew. Uh, we're real supportive. We support several missionaries that work on college campuses or churches that have college ministries. That is such a critical time. At 18 to 22 years old, I remember where I was and the decisions I made at that time. And wow, that is, I'm so thankful for people that are on college campuses and in churches that minister to people at that age of their life. It is just so critical. You make so many decisions about which direction you're going to go the rest of your life. And certainly that was the case with me. I was just looking for something in some direction. And for me, it was four guys. And this is crazy, too. I don't remember anybody from college because I barely spent any time on campus. But I remember Tim, Greg, Kip, and Kevin. And Tim, Greg, Kip, and Kevin were seniors. They lived right next door to I and my two crazy roommates uh, from the Twin Cities. And sometime during the fall semester, they invited me to church. They were going to Calvary. And uh, I said, yeah, I guess that'd be okay. So I went to Calvary, and um, at that time there was a college group, probably about a dozen college students. You know how college goes up and down, but around a dozen, 15 students. They didn't have a leader. They were kind of self-motivated. They had a weekly Bible study, and they had things going on during the week. And um, they were incredibly friendly, just really nice people, great people to be around. And I kind of got hooked in with them, and I, I really enjoyed it. But the whole time that I'm... Um, I'm feeling really inadequate. And, and the, reason, the reason is, I go to their Bible study, and these people, these Christians, these young college-age Christians, and they would like quote Bible verses. Are you kidding me? They knew Bible verses by heart. So they'd be having a discussion about one thing, and they'd come up with a Bible verse. That kind of freaked me out. And then just for fun, they'd do like play Bible trivia. Well, I was really good at Bible trivia. I hadn't really been taught anything. So they were pretty good at that, and, and then at the end of the time, just for fun, they would do uh, sword drills, you know, where you see how fast you can find, well, you can imagine how good I was at that, never really growing up with reading the Bible or anything, and so I really, really felt inferior. I said, man, these Christians, they've got their act together. They really know what they're doing. They're, you know, they're the good Christians, and I felt so inadequate that I quit. I, sometime around the 1st of December, probably, I don't remember exactly, but I said, I just don't really feel like I fit in here. I'm just going to leave and go home. So I went home for my Christmas break and uh, came back after that. And, you know, I'm gone a couple months or whatever, or a couple, yeah. That time it was like probably mid-January. I was going to Concordia, so they had a long Christmas break. And <clears throat> I came back, did not come back to Calvary. Just said, yeah, I don't know. And then God used another man. This is just another guy, just a regular guy at the church. His name was Al. Al called me up. He said, hey, Lenny, this is probably about toward the end of January. He says, Lenny. He says, we have a church basketball team, and we stink. He says, and I heard that you play basketball in high school. How would you like to play with us? I said, well, can't beat that offer, sure. I said, that'd be fine. He said, the one thing is, he says, you got to, he said, every, it's kind of an unwritten rule, but he says, you're supposed to go to church maybe every couple, twice a month or something. I said, well, that's no problem. I'd been going there earlier, and I said, yeah, I'd, I'd, that'd be no problem. I'd come back. So I started going back, getting involved with that college group again, and, and, and enjoyed it. But I never really lost that feeling of feeling just unworthy or not good enough or inferior in some way. And, and that bothered me. So I decided on my own, 
all right, I, I'm going to be like these people. I can, I can clean up my act a little bit, and I can uh, you know, make some good decisions here. And I, can, I, I resolved for myself that I was going to clean up my act, and I was going to be a better Christian. That seemed like the good thing to do, and so I kind of started working on that. And I suppose a couple months went by, and uh, at Calvary, like many evangelical churches 40 years ago, um, we had a Sunday evening service. So one day I come to this Sunday evening service, and it's no different than any other Sunday evening service, and there was a pastor there named Pastor Art Grimstead. He was an uh, older pastor that uh, taught Bible for years and years over at Concordia College, but just a great man of God. And um, he was speaking that night. And here again, I had that encounter with God way back in elementary school. This was really the first encounter I'd had with God since that time. Does that kind of make sense? My encounter with God, you know what I mean, where, where God just really grabs a hold and says, hey, this is for you, pal. Listen. And so I still distinctly remember his message that night. I was sitting like right about here. And it was like he was staring at me the whole time. It was the most bizarre thing. I don't think he knew where I was at. I'd never talked to him about this or anything. But his whole message was right, um, right at me. And he started out talking uh, from um, Romans 5. If you want to turn there, you can. I'm going to read from that. And as I thought about what I was going to share with you today, that really might be a, a, a gold nugget, something that you could maybe take home with you. Um, I knew it wouldn't be anything that I had to say because I was just sharing kind of about my life. But I knew there would be some gold nuggets that God would have for you. And so we're going we're gonna to read a lot of Scripture that um, has taught me a lot because I think that has uh, way more value than anything I say. But Pastor Grimstead that night was, was preaching from Romans 5, verses 6 to 11. And it really hit me like a ton of bricks. And this is what it says. It says, when we were utterly helpless, which is definitely where I felt, it says, Christ came at just the right time, and he died for us sinners. And I never really thought about that. Here I was trying to clean myself up so I could be good enough for God. But he made it very clear from God's word that Christ died for us sinners. He says, no one is likely to die for a good person, though someone might be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God... God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die to die for us while we were still sinners. I remember, I, I knew Christ had died for me. I made that decision way back. But realizing that God had died for me as a sinner was really new to me. That he wasn't waiting for me to get cleaned up. And since we've been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's judgment. So the whole idea, as he talked about being made right in God's sight, was really, really a neat message to me, because I'd never heard that. That because of Christ, I was already cleaned up in God's sight. So as you remember, I'm feeling pretty inferior. This is really hitting me hard as he's, as he's preaching this. Then in verse 10 it says, For since we were restored to friendship with God by the death of his Son, uh, while we were still his, uh, his enemies, we will certainly be delivered from the eternal punishment by, this, by his life. So now, this is a great verse too. So now, we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God. All because of what our Lord Jesus Christ has done for us in making us friends of God. 
so as I was reading this the past few weeks and then singing these songs this morning, by the way, Shane and praise team, thanks a lot. Those are great worship songs. And when they sing Christ Alone, I said, I should have titled it that because that's really going to be the theme for today. You'll hear that over and over, that Christ Alone. And I had to get over this up myself thinking that I had to clean myself up enough to be okay for God and understand that the message to me was that God wanted a relationship with me where, right where I was at and he would work with me from there. And that was really, uh, really something special to me at that time. And I loved verse 11 where, where it said, So now I can rejoice in the wonderful new relationship I have with God. So way back in Pierce, South Dakota, I would made a decision that I would follow God, but I would never really made a decision in my heart that I was going to have a relationship with him. And that was the first time for me to do that. So I don't know, maybe, that could, maybe that's a nugget that somebody here is struggling with, that that would be a nugget for you today. That God's not waiting for you to clean up. That uh, he wants you right where you're at. He went on to talk about uh, another thing that was bothering me some, was that maybe I couldn't clean up enough for God. And uh, he went from Romans into 1 Timothy. I'm getting there. I'm still no good at sword drills. So in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, when I'm thinking about, is my sin too great for God to clean up? And this is Paul talking, and Paul says, this is a true saying, and everyone should believe it, and that should get your attention right away. Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. And Paul says, I was the worst of them. Remember, Paul was a, he, he was a, he was a, he hated Christians. He had a lot of sin in his life. So he says, I was the worst of them all. But that is why God had mercy on me, so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners. Then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. So the bottom line was, I realized from that message that night that I'm never going to be good enough you know, to, to be reconciled to God only through Jesus and I'm never going to be too bad for Jesus to cleanse my sins. So it was a pretty, pretty big message to me. Um, and I remember that forever, that everyone, everyone who comes to Jesus comes as a sinner. The Bible is very clear about that. So I'm thinking, all right, God wants me right where I'm at. And I'm thinking, well, I am a sinner, and I don't know where I'm headed from here. And there was nothing that uh, very miraculously happened that all of a sudden I understood what it meant to follow Jesus. So I am like a whole bunch of other college students on campus. I'm trying to figure out, well, what does it mean to follow Jesus? What's God's will for my life? And I found out we had been, our nieces and nephews have been going to college here. So we've been around a lot of college students. Danny just finished up a couple years ago. So we've been around a lot of college students the last few years. And you know what? Same conversation. What's God's will for my life? And they spend a lot of time talking about what's God's will for my life. And usually that has to do with, you know, who am I going to marry? What's my career going to be? This and that. And those things are all important. God cares about those. But, you know, the bottom line is, I think we just need to praise God and we need to make some decisions and, and, and go. And that's kind of what we're going to talk about today is what's God's will for my life. And uh, we're not going to talk anything about the car that you're going to buy this year or anything like that. But we're going to talk about what God's will is um, for your life and my life in 2017.
Um, I have three convictions about God's will. That'll tell you right away they're not maybe what you first think of when you think about God's will for your life. First conviction is that God's will is the same for everyone. Might come as a surprise to you, I don't know. Secondly, that God's will is the same in 1977 when I was trying to figure it out as it is in 2017. Same will. And it'll be the same in the future. And the third conviction I have about God's will is that God's will for my life and for your life is all found in God's word. Again, it's not going to talk anything about the car you should buy. But uh, God's will for our life is definitely found in his word. So there's three passages of scripture that over time and throughout my life have come back to me over and over again that I think uh, refer a lot to God's will and what his will is for our life. So I want to share those with you this morning. Um, And I I just ask as I share those that you give me some grace on this. Because my biggest fear is standing before people and talking about what God's done in my life is that somehow you'll think that I figured it out and that when I read these scriptures that somehow, oh, well, yeah. My biggest fear is that you'll go, what does he get off saying that? I am a long ways from even close to nailing any of these. But they're all things that God has has worked on me and he's I always tell people, you, th- you think I'm bad at those now? You should have seen me before I knew Jesus because uh, it would have been a lot worse. But God is working on me in these things, so please just give me some grace and um, try to see if there's a gold nugget for you here for 2017. But the first one is in Matthew 22. If you want to flip over there, Matthew 22. These are all verses that many of you have heard before. I hope maybe today they'll have a special meaning to you. But Matthew 22 starting with verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees with his reply, they thought up a fresh question of their own to ask him. One of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap Jesus with this question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment of the law of Moses? Okay, as I read that, now I'm listening. And they asked Jesus, what's the most important commandment And Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. A second is equally important. It's equally important that you love your neighbor as yourself. What's God's will for our life in 2007? If it's God's most important commandment, that seems like that's probably a pretty good bet that that's part of his will for us in 2017. That we would love God we would love people passionately. That's why I ask you, don't judge me on this. <laughs> Give me some grace because God's working on me in this. But there's no question. This is the thing that God wants us to do in 2007. It's his will for our life that we would love the Lord and that we would love others passionately. Uh, second scripture is in Second Corinthians 5. Again, something many of you heard many, many times. So 2 Corinthians 5, uh, starting in verse, I will start in verse 17. What this means is that those who become Christians will become new persons. They are not the same anymore, for the old life is gone. A new life has begun. All this newness of life is from God, who brought us back to himself through what Christ did. And God has given us the task of reconciling people to himself. So as I'm reading this, I'm thinking, okay, God has, he has saved me by his, through his son Jesus. 
And now he's given me a task of seeing other people come to know Jesus, of being, having their fellowship restored with God through Jesus. For God was in Christ, reconciling the word to himself, world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. This is the wonderful message he has given us to tell others. Man, that's a, that's a neat verse there. I hope we don't miss that. This is the wonderful message he's given us to tell others. It should be convicting. It should be joyous. It's, this is an amazing message. The message of salvation, the gospel message. And he's given us that task of telling that to others. We are Christ ambassadors, and God is using us to speak to you. We urge you, as though Christ himself were pleading with you, be reconciled to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. I think, great, I have a job. I have a purpose. God's will for my life in 2017 is that I would be an ambassador for him. And I want you to turn to Proverbs. Many of you will know this one by heart, I'm guessing. Proverbs chapter 3. And I got to thinking if there was one verse that I would have to share with somebody, if there was one passage of Scripture that I could share with whether somebody's a believer or not a believer, doesn't believe in God, whatever, this is the, the one place I would turn to in Scripture that has been for 40 years, has helped me uh, keep focused on following Jesus. And it starts out by saying, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. You ever wonder why God just to say, Trust in the Lord, and just quit? Just trust in the Lord. We talk about that all the time in church. Just got to trust in the Lord. Just got to trust in the Lord. But I think God immediately followed the lean on your own understanding, because God knows that we're humans, and our tendency is to lean on our own understanding. I don't know about you guys, but I want to understand it. I want to be able to explain it. I want to be able to think through it. I want it to be my own thoughts. I want to understand it. I, want to, I, I, want, I just want to be able to, to get it myself. And you just can't do that. After 40 years of reading God's Word and, and trying to understand it, He just finally told me that it's just about Jesus, Lenny. And you're just not going to get it. This is a message you're just not going to. You're not going to get everything. There's plenty in here that I get that, that challenges me. But I think that a lot of times we just have to say, I just, I just can't lean on my own understanding. I have to trust God. Some of my most faith-building times in my life have been when our families con- confronted some bad things, and for you it might be like physical problems or work situations, financial difficulties marriage problems, mental, emotional problems, spiritual problems, whatever the issue, whatever it is, when it's a, when it's a tough time, uh, my, my tendency, my human tendency, like I'm sure many of you, is just to try to explain it. Well, you know, what's God doing here? Maybe this is why he's doing this. And, and when I get to that point, I, I start relying on the sarcastic God. And some of you are going, what's he talking about? And some of you will follow me on this, some of you won't, but I think it's because my nature is kind of sarcastic sometimes. So I really love it when God kind of gets sarcastic. By example, I, this is kind of paraphrased, but from Job 38. And it starts out where it says, uh, who is, this is God talking now to Job. He says, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? That's God asking the question. And then here's where I think the sarcasm comes in that I, I happen to just really enjoy. He says, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Did you set the dimensions and do the surveying? Then he says, where were you when I defined the boundaries of the sea? 
Who told the proud waves to stop here and go no further? Have you ever commanded the morning to appear and caused the dawn to rise in the east? Can you talk to clouds and make it rain? You get the point? That's my sarcastic God. Who are we to demand an explanation from God? I think it just seems to me like the, sometimes we forget who we're dealing with. This is the God of the universe. And I think those questions he's asking Job, we need to be reminded of. Who are we to question uh, him? We're called to trust the Lord with all our heart. And I think that's uh, another will, or God, another part of God's will for 2017, that we would trust the Lord God with all our heart. And that even more importantly, we'd not lean on our own understanding. And then he goes on in verse 6 to say, In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. What does that mean, in all your ways to acknowledge him? I think that, that um, we have to trust in God that we were created, we're the created, he was the, he's the creator. And, and I think just acknowledging that, for me, that's helped me over the years just to understand that God will direct my path. I just have to acknowledge that he is the God, I'm not the God, he's the creator, I'm the created. And that's, that's helped me over the years just to understand that that God will direct my path if I'll just acknowledge that. And then guess what verse I had just here to kind of wrap things up? Romans 12, 1 and 2. Isn't that interesting how that works out? Romans 12, 1 and 2, and I actually just kind of added that in this week as I was doing my devotions that came up. And I thought, it just ends with a great uh, kind of a summary of God's will for our life. It says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God, so this has got to be part of God's will for us in 2017, that we would give our bodies to God. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that, will, that he will accept. When you think of what he's done for us, is that too much to ask? Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will know, that God wa- then you will know what God wants you to do, and you will know how good and pleasing and perfect his will is. So, I said at the beginning that God's will for our lives is for everyone. It's the same forever and ever, and it's all found in the Bible. I just summarized by saying that the three things that I kind of point out that's God's will for 2017 is that we would love the Lord God with all our heart passionately, and we love others the same way, and that we'd be ambassadors for Christ, sharing the gospel message with other people, and that we would trust in God with all our heart, and we'd not lean on our own understanding. You know, as your thought times, I don't know if you make New Year's resolutions or not, but a lot of times we do that this time of year, and I'd ask that you not make a New Year's resolution to, you know, go to church more, or to be more regular at church, or, you know, read your Bible more, or uh, pray more. I just ask that you make a resolution to get to know Jesus better. And that's going to entail all that. That's the only way we're going to get to know him better. Being with other believers, spending time in God's word, spending time with him in prayer. So I hope that something I've said about God's will in 2017 um, is helpful to you. Um, it's uh, just some of the things in my life that have um, kind of helped me through in my, my walk with the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, I know nothing I said here today 
that comes from me is of any value to anybody that's listening. But Father, I do know that your word never comes back void. So Lord, I just pray that in that amazing way that you do, because you are the, the creator, in that amazing way that you take something from your word this morning, something that was read from your word this morning, and that you'd work in the hearts of the people that need to hear it, and Lord, that you'd just make it a gold nugget to them, that they could go into a new year with a better understanding of what it means to follow Jesus, to be a disciple of Jesus. And Father, I would pray that everyone here that knows and believes in Jesus would truly, in 2017, make Jesus the cornerstone, Christ alone. Amen.